Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. If you have questions about our church or following Jesus, feel free to reach out to us at info at theplantchurch.org. Now, here's today's message. And what we're going to be doing is today, we're going to be wrapping up the Joseph narrative. And we're not only going to be wrapping up the Joseph narrative, but next week we're going to start the Beatitudes. And I'm actually going to touch on one of the Beatitudes this morning as well. You see, what happens is, there comes a point in all of our hearts where we want retaliation. When people have hurt us, when people have offended us, when people have stolen something from us, When we have the opportunity to retaliate, there's something we love to do. React and retaliate. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna wrap up the Joseph narrative by looking at what did Joseph do when he was confronted with his offenders? Did he show mercy or retaliation? And on top of that, my big theme for all of this is that as we look at the life of Joseph, is understanding that our trials and our obstacles, even though it seems like it's coming from outside forces, God uses them to shape both our character and our future. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this morning. And Holy Spirit, I know that for some time, many have gone through trials. And if they are not in the midst of a trial, trials will be coming. That's part of our humanity. And God, oftentimes we look back on our trials and we look back and we have regret. Regret how we did not allow our trials to shape us and regret how our trials have also shaped us when not handled properly in a very, very negative way. God, I think it's fair that when we have been offended, if we don't deal with it properly, it messes with our soul. It has a negative effect on our personality and it has the power to affect the people we love the most. I ask you this morning for just a divine appointment. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 42, one through seven. Genesis chapter 42, one through seven. It says here, when Jacob heard that grain was available in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why are you standing around looking at one another? I have heard there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy enough grain to keep us, what's the word? Alive. Alive. Otherwise, we'll die. So Joseph's 10 older brothers went down to Egypt to buy grain. But Jacob wouldn't let Joseph's younger brother, Benjamin, go with them for fear some harm might come to him. So Jacob's sons arrived in Egypt along with others to buy food for the famine was in Canaan as well. Since 
Joseph was governor of all Egypt and in charge of selling grain to all the people. It was to him that his brothers came. When they arrived, they bowed before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph recognized his brothers instantly, but he pretended, he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where are you from? He demanded. So let's look at a little background. What we've been studying over the last five weeks is the life of Joseph. And the first thing that we saw was that Joseph was the son of Jacob. Jacob had many children. And Joseph was Jacob's favorite son. And how did Jacob honor Joseph? What was the thing that he gave him? He gave him a coat of many colors. And all of his other siblings, and he was from a big, blended family, and we see the reality of Scripture that even in Scripture you see blended families and the chaos of blended families and and relationships trying to connect in a blended family that all of his siblings did not like Joseph because he was known as the favorite. And so what do they do? They beat him. They threw him in a cistern. A pit. The, Greek, the correct Hebrew word is dungeon. And they left him, and then they sold him to the Ishmaelites, who were their distant relatives, to be taken away to be sold into slavery again. Joseph was uh, sold into slavery. He went to Potiphar's house. Potiphar loved him. Everything in Potiphar's world started to grow and multiply. Everything Joseph touched turned to gold. He was like King Midas. And so Potiphar just gave him more and more responsibility to the point that the only thing that Joseph was not allowed to do was pick out what what Potiphar was to eat. Well, Potiphar's wife found Joseph to be attractive. And she manipulated him. And then he ran. He ran from temptation. And in that, he was accused. He was accused of forcing himself on Potiphar's wife. Thrown back in prison, and while he was there, he had dreams. He shared the dreams with those who had dreams, the interpretations of the dreams of the baker and the cupbearer. Well, some time came later, and then Joseph was put in a position to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. You see, Pharaoh was having nightmares, nightmares of what was going to happen to Egypt. And he said, who can interpret my dreams? And so the cupbearer said, I know one. His name is Joseph. You see, the cupbearer forgot to raise Joseph to the place by letting people know. And so he stood before Pharaoh. He interpreted Pharaoh's dreams perfectly. And everything in Egypt started to thrive. For seven years, they had crop like Egypt has never seen. And Joseph had the wisdom to put crops away because the other dream that Pharaoh had was that there was going to be a famine for seven years. The first dream was seven years of growth. The second dream was seven years of famine. And so right now, Joseph is living in his zone. He is leading everything, and he was second under Pharaoh. So when anyone went to Pharaoh and Pharaoh wasn't around, Joseph, the Hebrew, 
everyone went to. The foreigner, slave, who became the right hand to Pharaoh. But right now, there's a situation. Everything was going horrible. There were seven years of famine. But in the midst of Canaan and all the, all the cities and countries around that were going into a place of devastation, Egypt was thriving. And so, Joseph's family, who he was estranged from for now over 20 years, 20 years, they were in a place of famine. And Jacob, Joseph's father, told his boys, go to Egypt, get grain, or we will, say the word, die. In other words, if they did not have grain to both eat and to try to plant, because remember, it's a famine, they would die. And so, like everybody else, they had to go before Joseph. And Joseph is confronted with his offenders. He is confronted with his offenders. Let, let me give a little snapshot. Have you ever been in a situation where the person who has offended you most, you had like space from them, right? And then you're walking around Acme and then you bump into them, right? <laughs> Seriously, right? Or, or you're at, or you're at a, a, the movies or a concert or a Christmas party or on vacation and the person who was your greatest offender out of nowhere, by chance, you bump into. How does that feel? What do you do? What happens? And this is exactly that hap what happened with Joseph. I didn't read the part, but it's very interesting because it says that Joseph did not reveal himself. You see, Joseph looked different than his brothers now because he dressed like an Egyptian. And it says in scripture that he actually spoke in a different language than his brothers, so his brothers would not be able to know who he was. And so they begged him. They begged him for grain. They begged him that his family would not die. And if you read chapter 42, they really, he, Joseph gets into a lot of detail. Tell me about your family. Tell me about your siblings. Are you the only one? How is your father doing? And so here, Joseph is kind of like beginning to manipulate, manipulate his siblings. But if you look at Genesis 42, 9, this is what it says. In the midst of their conversation, it says that Joseph remembered the dreams he'd had about them many years before. You see, the conflict between Joseph and his siblings was that Joseph was a little brother. Anyone have any little brothers? Right, punk, right, right? Did, you just say that? Did I just say that out loud, right, right? You know that little irritating little brother? And so what, what had happened was Joseph had these dreams fully from God. And every time he had a dream, he'd wake up and be like, hey, let me tell you about my dream. And one time he woke up and he said, hey, I had this dream that you guys were like seven stalks of grain and you were all bowing down to me. And all his brothers said, were like, say What? And then he had another dream a couple nights later. He said, hey, I had even a bigger dream that the seven stars were bowing down to me because I am that one star. 
And as Joseph was in this place of inner turmoil, he remembered the dream that one day his siblings would be standing before him, bowing before him. And the reality is, is that the way that Joseph handled that dream, I believe was part of what got him into the situation he is in right now. And yet, God, even in Joseph's humanness, had a bigger plan. You see, there has to be a point in all of our lives. The dreams that we have had, God-given dreams are supposed to come to fruition. They're supposed to. Whether you're a little boy, little girl, whether you're going through a crisis and one night you had a, a, a dream that, that something was going to change and shift, I believe those are heavenly dreams. And I believe in all of us that God has birthed something in each one of us that he wants to come to fruition. And the problem is what happens is that when things aren't going our way, we give up on those dreams. We give up on those hopes. We give up on those desires. And we don't allow God to do his best work in us. We quit. We give up. We fall prey to the, to the powers that be that want to hold us down and limit what God has already planned in the future. And it says that Joseph remembered that dream. And you would think in this moment that right away, Joseph would be like, hey, dream come true. Dream fulfilled. But what we see is that Joseph is very, very human. Let me just say this. The closer you get to Jesus, the more human you understand who you are. And that's a good thing. The closer you get to Jesus, the more you see how evil your heart can be, how wicked your heart can be, how deceitful that, that you may want to go in different directions because your flesh and the Spirit of God are in contention with one another. Do I get an amen for that? Right? You ever notice that? Like, like why is it that I'm a follower of Jesus and I feel like, like I'm more angry at people because you've recognized that you're broken why is it that I'm a follower of Jesus and things have happened, now I want to retaliate? Because you realize that your heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. Scripture says, who can understand it? And so you would think that Joseph would just jump up. And he'd be like, hey, dream come true. Let's take care of your family. Let's, let's hug, let's kumbaya. No, 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 no. If you have your Bible in your hand or you're holding your app, I want you just to either turn the page or just swipe it three times. One, two, three. For the next three, two to three chapters, Joseph starts using manipulating maneuvers. He starts using manipulating maneuvers. He continues to talk in a foreign tongue he continues to play the role of the angry second person to the king. 
He sends his brothers away. He puts money in their, in, in their, in their satchels that, that wasn't supposed to be there. They, he manipulates them to bring the younger brother back. He does everything to just cause great fear and an anxiety in these 10 siblings. And all along, Joseph is dying inside. Because retaliation does not bring inner reconciliation. You hear what I'm saying? Retaliation does not bring inner reconciliation. It actually says on two different occasions that Joseph walked out of the room and he wept so loud that the whole household could hear him and had no idea what was going on. And so he uses these manipulating tactics because he's wrestling with what do I do that I'm finally in the place that God has called me to be, but I am confronted with those who terrorized my life, those who sent me to prison, those who put me in difficult situations that I didn't know if I was going to survive or not. And when we look at Joseph, this is where we get to see his real humanness. How was he going to respond? Because in his mind, dream come true. But God's work is not about dream coming true outward, God's desire is that his deepest work would be done in us. That's dream come true. That who we are aligns with who God is calling us to become and what we are called to accomplish. And so retaliation does not bring inner reconciliation. And this is the tension that we see with Joseph. That he wanted to retaliate. He wanted to speak ill. He wanted to throw his siblings in jail. He wanted to punish them. But you see, when the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, there's nowhere to run to. There's nowhere to hide. Because Joseph knew in this moment that God was up to something so much deeper. And it was never about him. Listen to the words of Jesus. Jesus says, Blessed, God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So, so the word mercy means to have compassion towards someone who is under another's power. It is to have compassion over someone who is under someone else's power. Unfortunately, we oftentimes think of mercy as someone in a, in a hard place in life. Someone who needs us to kind of step in and swoop in and, and rescue them. Mercy is so much deeper. It's about the person who has offended us. It's about that person who has driven us to a place of anger and bitterness and rage and resentment. 
It's about someone who has sinned and harmed us. And it's in these moments that when we have mercy, we are saying that for when we are confronted with our offenders, we're going to choose to be like Jesus. Forgive them as Christ has forgiven me. Amen? That's hard. That's hard. Facts, he just said, facts. <laughs> facts. That's hard. I mean, think about what Jesus says in, in Matthew 6. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. What did Jesus say on the cross? Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they've done. To be merciful is to disarm the powers of anger, bitterness, resentment, and unforgiveness that you are holding over others. To be merciful is to renounce the offense of another. Isn't it funny last night that when I went to sleep and I woke up, I woke up, I'm like, wow, I had a dream about someone who offended me. Oh yeah, I'm preaching on it this morning. My night last night was filled with me in a dream being confronted with someone in my past who's offended me. And it was interesting when I thought about it, I'm like, how did I handle myself in that dream? You see, Jesus says, blessed are the merciful because they will be shown mercy. How many of us want others to be gentle, kind, compassionate? How many of us want people to be quick to forgive and slow to anger? I really believe this, that the way that we are towards others, God blesses us. That the more that I show mercy to others, God's gonna give me the mercy for others to have upon me. Let me continue reading Genesis 45. Joseph could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room and he said to his attendants, out, all of you. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. So think about this. His, 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 he's gonna change the language he's talking to right now. This is the shift. Then he broke down and wept. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians could hear him. And the word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? Brothers, but his brothers were speechless. Seriously? They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Why? Because they thought he was a slave or dead. Please come closer. So you can hit me? He said to them. So they came closer. And he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset. And don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine 
that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years. And there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families, what? Alive. What did they want to do? Kill him. But God is using him to keep them alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all of Jesus. You see, here's what Joseph did. He chose mercy. He stepped away. And he looked at the the God-ordained circumstance. And he was in a place where his anger was so much that it was destroying him. And he had to lay down his anger and his wrath and his unmerciful heart in order for God's biggest plans to be fulfilled. And he cried out. And he said, come closer. I forgive you. God had a plan. God had a purpose. Joseph chose mercy over personal justice. He chose mercy over personal justice. And the first sermon series, the first sermon we talked about was these words that destroy us. We want to cancel one another. We want to shame one another. We want to destroy one another for our own fame and our own good works. To fully embrace God's plan is not about accomplishing the tasks that God set out before you, but to allow your life to reflect God in our most trying and difficult situations. Yes, God used Joseph to do a fabulous work in the land of Egypt. But I believe the best work that God was doing was what God was doing in reconciling Joseph to his siblings. Because everything in this world will pass away. But our character and our integrity stands forever. Yesterday, I took some time And in my daily reading, I was reading about integrity. So I just took some time yesterday and just started going through verses throughout Scripture about integrity, 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 integrity. And for all of you who who have ever mentored, you know I do this thing called a life plan where I have passages that I read every day for one year. And not only that, but I, I, I allow God to speak to my future, whether it be personal life, marriage, finances, career. And yesterday I just wrote down something about integrity that the most important thing that God can do in my life this year is sharpen and shape my integrity. That's all he cares about. He cares about this. He uses this. The things we're called to step into are vocations, right? There are gospel vehicles, but he calls us to shape our hearts because he does not come back for what, he does not bring us into heaven by what we accomplish, but rather who we are as sons and daughters of God. Let me conclude with this. 
James chapter one. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. When was the last time when troubles and hardship came your way? You're like, woo! Yes! Dude, this is gonna be an awesome day. I hope for the next seven years, everything falls apart. Take that off me. No, 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 no. Right? Like, right? Like, think about that, right? Like, like we don't think that way. Four, you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing what? Nothing. Joseph had everything, and yet he needed nothing. Because in every trial he stepped in, guess who was Jehovah Jireh? God. Every time he was thrown into a dungeon, who was the one who rescued him? God. Every time he was hungry and starving, because back then family members were supposed to bring your meals to prison and he had no family members, guess who provided his bread and water? God. And every time someone stole a jacket from him, guess who provided a new jacket? God. You see, now he was wearing a jacket that told everyone that you oversee Egypt. Guess who gave him that jacket? Not Pharaoh, but God. Anyone getting the chills? I know it's cold in here, but anyone getting chills? Right? Think about that, right? Like, how true that is. Two thoughts. Trials prepare us for God's purposes. Everything Joseph went through God used. He used them. If you have a learning disability, God uses your learning disabilities. Do you know that? Do you know that? I have learning disabilities and I graduated with my doctorate. God does these things. If you're from a broken home, God even what Satan is trying to do in that broken home, God will use that to shape you and mold you into be the greatest man and woman he called you to be. If you are in a place of unemployment, God is using this space for what he has in store next. If you feel like all of your dreams have fallen apart, God is using this moment to say, I have better for you. Because my better is your best. There has to be a point that we shift our perspective. And lastly, and even more importantly, trials shape our identity, either through the gospel or through the world. Trials shape our identity either through the gospel of the world, and we see this with Joseph. Joseph was in a place, he was a follower of God, and in one moment he was acting like an Egyptian, and the next moment he was acting like a follower of God. And he had the ability to turn it on and turn it off and turn it on and turn it off and turn it on and turn it off. There has to be a point. I'm sorry if I'm getting loud. I apologize. I'm getting a little excited. I haven't preached in a couple weeks. There has to be a point 
that we choose our identity as followers of Jesus over this demoralizing identity that the world puts on us. We should be the most bold people on the face of the earth. And yet we should be the most merciful people on the face of this earth. We should have a God-given confidence that overrides any confidence that the world tries to put on us. And yet we should live in a place of humility, knowing like Joseph, every single thing that I have and the deep work that he's done in my life is accomplished because of him and not me. Amen? Amen? Plant family. Your trials or your opportunity to live in God's purposes. Your trials are God's opportunities to have him shape a Christ-centered identity that's fully looking to the cross all the time and living a life that reflects the empty tomb. Plant family. You have an opportunity to choose to allow every single trial, past, present, and future, to be an opportunity for God's best work to be done today. Stop shooting for the promise out there but begin to live in the promise of who you are and what God is up to right now. That was a big shift for me. I had to shift that the promises was something I was going to achieve rather than the promises of who I am, walking in all God is shaping and doing in me right now. Amen? Amen. Let's go to communion. Think about Jesus. God's plan to be the final sacrifice for humanity's sin. Yes, it was filled with healings and deliverances and and powerful teachings. But the sole purpose of the Father, the sole purpose of God, was that Jesus would sacrifice himself for the sins of the world so that we could be called sons and daughters of God. The bread represents his trials. As Jesus stepped into his trials, he's inviting you to step into your trials too. Let's eat together. And the cup represents the promises already accomplished. It's done. It's settled. That because of the Holy Spirit, You can live in the fullness of who you are and trust God that the promises are not in the future. It's now. Let's drink. I want to ask the prayer team to come forward. I know we usually do this at the end of the service. But during the song of worship, If you need prayer,
come on forward. Or if you're someone who says, I've been acting like an Egyptian, okay, meaning what Joseph was talking about, acting like someone of the world, someone different than who God has called me to be, and you're saying, today is my day where I need eternal life. Today is my day to start wearing a new identity as a son and daughter of God. Come forward. Or just simply say this, Jesus, I give you my humanness and I receive my identity as a son and daughter of God. And simply say this, Holy Spirit, fill me from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet, to the extension of my arms, to the depths of my soul. Let's worship. Thanks so much for joining us today. If this podcast has been helpful for you to know Jesus and make him known, then check out our website for more sermons and other resources, theplantchurch.org. 